Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. So we are continuing on in our series this morning uh, in Romans chapter 8 that we're calling Chains and being set free from some chains. I've been loving the feedback I've been getting from uh, many of you uh, just talking about how this, uh, this series, these passages that we've been reading are doing exactly what we had hoped that they would do in terms of uh, release you from some chains that maybe you've been holding on to for many years and, and uh, give you that, that sense of freedom in Christ that is intended for those who follow Christ. And I, I don't know about you, but... For a lot of years, I didn't really get the whole thing about freedom in Christ. Uh, I heard, you know, I would read scriptures that talked about freedom in Christ. I would, uh, you know, hear people talk about freedom in Christ. But I personally, in my walk, didn't feel freedom in Christ. To me, it felt like uh, I just signed up for a bunch of rules. And, um, you know, where's, where was the freedom in that? It seemed like all my friends were the ones with the freedom. And, uh, and so I really didn't get that. And it's, t- it's not until later on in life that I began to really grasp what that freedom is all about the freedom uh, uh, from the uh, bondage, not only from the bondage of sin, but from the bondage of uh, that hopeless feeling of I keep going back to sin. I keep wanting to live one way and instead living another. And, uh, and that kind of freedom is, is amazing because when you, when you really get a strong grasp on that freedom, uh, you begin to understand that it's not about what we do, it's about what Christ has already done for us about what he's already done for us. And so that takes the pressure off of me to be perfect. Uh, and I think that's a, a trap that a lot of us will fall into in our Christian walk is feeling like, okay, if, I got, if I'm going to be a Christian, I got to be perfect or I got to be somewhat perfect or you got to uh, silence your phone. And, um, and so, sorry about that. Um, and so um, just uh, that, that feeling of, of, of trying to live up to something or live up to other people's expectations or, or whatever else, that when you get a, a grasp of how grace really works and that it is a free gift and it's not anything that we can do, it's a gift of God and, 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 and that sort of thing, when you can really get a grasp of that, suddenly that freedom of, oh, I, I don't have to be perfect, I can be myself and I can uh, submit to Christ like we talked about last week. I can be a person who's submitted to Christ, who's constantly giving him permission. Come in, change me, transform me, make me into the person that you want to be. But you know me and you know I'm not perfect. And so this is going to be a rough ride. And God's like, yeah, I do know you. And that's okay. I, I got you. I got you. And so th- that, that whole walk becomes very freeing. I talked about how um, I'm, I'm not the person. I used to be the person. I'm not the person anymore, though that gets so caught up in uh, being overcome by guilt and shame and constantly feeling like I'm not um, either worthy of God's grace or living up to whatever expectations God has for me. I, I, I have released that because I've come to that knowledge of that freedom that we have in Christ. Now, we're going to talk a, a, a little bit more. And last week, you know, the topic was uh, about, you know, living in the flesh versus living in the spirit. We talked about the real clenching part of that was, are you submitted to Christ? Are you a person who is, who is, even in your failure, submitted to Christ? Yes, I failed, but I'm going to get back up. I'm going to ask God, God, I'm, you know, I hate that I failed you, but I'm still with you. I'm still walking with you. Continue to change me. Continue to transform me. Are you constantly submitted to Christ in all the details of your life? Not just in your sin, but in all the details of your life. All of them. Now, I, I want to kind of zero in on, on something that, that we're going to kind of be talking about today. 
And it's this feeling of, or it's the idea of how you see yourself. How you see yourself. And this is going to sound very, um, um, I don't know, Oprah, Dr. Phil, I don't know what it's going to sound like, but, um, but we're, going to, we're going to bring it back around, I promise. And so uh, I'm not a big self-image guy. I'm really not. Um, in, t- in terms of, like, I've got a pretty good self-image, probably too good. Um, but, I, but I'm not into self-image. I'm not the guy who says, you know, I did youth ministry for a lot of years, and, and uh, you know, a lot of people think that part of that youth ministry is to, you know, build up kids' self-image and that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm not that guy. In fact, I'm, I kind of, you know, just my, my approach with them is my approach with you, not to convince you that you are, you know, that you have great uh, self-worth, but instead to convince you that you're worthless. And, uh, and so, so far so good. <laughs> and, um, and no, no, and, and my point of that is this, that we have no worth apart from Christ. That it, my worth does not come from within me. My worth comes from my Heavenly Father. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But, but the, it's just this concept, though, of... Well, let me, let me just dive in. I, I have struggled um, with a feeling of, of you know, my, my self-image, my self-worth for a lot of years when I was a younger man and uh, an adolescent. Uh, and, and it came from all kinds of, you know, a strained relationship with my, with my dad, um, you know, which is much better now. Um, it came from, uh, you know, maybe being bullied at school or whatever. Um, I wasn't always the hoss that I am today. And, um, and so, so I, I did get bullied. Um, and so, you know, that mixed with, uh, you know, a lot of other just junk that happened in my life. Uh, that, that sense of failure that I talked about earlier, that moral failure, like I want to, I know how God expects me to live and I keep failing and I keep failing and I'm worthless and um, you know, my dad was a pastor and then there was that whole, there was that whole side of, you know, everybody's looking at me as the pastor's kid and expecting perfection out of me. And I wasn't able to deliver on that expectation. And, um, you know, and so just this constant beating down of, of myself and some, some of it was, you know, I talk about this a lot when it comes to, you know, the way we view ourselves, some of that is self-induced and some of that is, is put upon us by other people. Um, I've shared before, it's been a while since I've shared it, but, but as a, um, fifth or sixth grade student, there was a, a local pastor in, in the little town that we lived in that my mom and dad trusted and trusted to, for me to spend time with, and that man ended up molesting me. Um, and luckily, I had a mother who uh, paid attention to her mothering sense and uh, one day decided to ask a question, and, uh, and then the, the truth came out and it was taken care of. Uh, so moms and dads, if you get that sense, listen to it. Um, but so some of that, you know, again, that, it's just, that was just one more thing uh, that piled on my kind of looking at how I viewed myself, right? Um, and I know through talking to people throughout the years that situations like that, whether it's uh, molestation or rape or um, abuse, whether it's verbal or, or psychological or physical or whatever it is, that uh, almost every person in this room has probably experienced at least some degree of that at some point in your life. Now, the way you let that stuff affect you, whether it's the stuff you, you inflict upon yourself or the stuff that other people inflict upon you, uh, really will dictate how you live your life. The chances that you're willing to take, the kind of faith you're willing to place in, in God. For some of you, you, um, you, know, you, you struggle, because I know because I've talked to many of you about this, you struggle, you, you like the idea of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
you struggle with the image of God as your father because you had a father who did not do such a great job, maybe even a horrible job. And you really struggle uh, identifying with God as Father. You're untrusting of that word, Father. Um, And uh, you drag all this pain into your life, and sometimes the way you deal with that pain is just by, um, it could be self-medicating through, uh, you know, food or, or through, uh, uh, drugs and alcohol or through sex or through any number of different things. Um, it could be through self-sabotaging. You don't allow yourself to experience uh, good and positive relationships. You tend to push people uh, away from you that, that want to get close to you. Uh, it, or, or it could be through, through self-sabotaging your future in terms of just not looking um, or, or just, you know, actions that will cause you failure instead of success. <coughs> Excuse me. For some of you, you don't feel like you uh, deserve uh, anything good in life, so you're going to make the worst choices over and over and over because you feel like you deserve that punishment. And you may not verbalize this or have ever even thought about it, but if you really get down to the core of your decision-making, you would probably find some of you would probably find that's true. Um, and if you're, that, if you're one of those people, which I think many of us are, maybe not all of us, but many of us are, it's really easy to, like the whole Christian thing is, can be really attractive in terms of, uh, for, I'm looking for forgiveness of sins, I need that. Um, I, I like the church experience, I like the, you know, the, the, the camaraderie and the fellowship with other people, I, I, like, I like, maybe even I like worshiping, I, I like, you know, laughing at a goofy pastor, I don't know what it is, you know, but whatever that is, you kind of like that experience, but even then you still hold God at bay because you really can't, it's like I'm going to tiptoe into this faith and I'm going to do kind of some religious things, I'm going to go to church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to read my Bible, I'm going to try to pray and some things like that, I'm going to serve in some different ways, but you still kind of hold God at bay because you can't believe that he would really love you the way that he loves you. Like, like in your mind, you feel like there's no way a, um, a holy God, a righteous God, could view me the way Scripture says that He views me. Could look at me and see something, somebody worth saving, worth dying for. Um, and so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna place too much faith. I'm not gonna step out too far because I don't want to deal with um, either being let down. Or being, or feeling like another person in my life abandoned me. This time it was God, um, and so so we tend to hold God at bay. Again, that that sense of um, I'm worth I'm, I'm worth nothing. There's um, I don't know if you guys have ever been around um, or are um, orphans and um, people who. You know, as kids, maybe grew up without parents or, or distant from parents in some way. Maybe maybe you had an absent father, um, whatever that is. And, and, and the, the trauma that that can cause, because there's always this sense of um, just something missing. There's always this sense of that if, if I would have had that parental love, that parental support, then somehow, some way, maybe my life would have turned out different. Maybe I would have um, 
felt better about myself than I feel. Maybe I would have had the kind of love and support that I needed. And, 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 and that, that, that stigma that uh, people who either have distance or, or absence from parents, uh, often those people carry that with, within their entire lives. And I think it, spiritually the same can be true too, that there are many of us that spiritually feel like Orphans. That the same. I think the same DNA kind of that's hardwired into us to to want to have and know um, our parents because somehow that gives us a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose and a sense of future and everything else. Um, I think spiritually the same can be said that there is something hardwired into our DNA to cry out to God as our Father. Um, and for those of us who refuse to take that step of really entering into that true, uh, kind of go beyond religion into that true relationship with God as our Father, um, we miss out on a lot that a lot of that freedom that we've been talking about, and we also um, we just miss out on the relationship that that He died for us to have. That he died for us to have. So there's some again something within us that says, "I can't do that. I can't believe that about him. I can't believe that about myself. I, I you know, what, whatever that is." And but yet again, something in our DNA, DNA cries out, I, "I need that father. I need I need him in my life." But yet I'm I'm holding. I, I'm scared of that relationship, whatever that is. And and when you keep wrestling with that. Um, it's it's gonna it's gonna provide or, or, or make consequences that just follow you all, all the way down the road throughout the rest of your life until you come to grips with God as your father, as your father. Now you may or may not find resolution with your you know your 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 parents here on earth, uh, but I can tell you that there is there is healing and resolution with your heavenly father. And he offers it to you. He chases. After you, after you. If you were somehow an, an orphan thinking that your parents didn't care about you, that they just gave you up or whatever, and you had all these weird anxiety and feelings about that, that whole situation, and then later on you come to find out that for years and years and years the whole thing was, your understanding of that situation was wrong, and, and they had been chasing after you, trying to get to you their entire life, your whole worldview would suddenly would suddenly change your sense of value would suddenly change and it, it's no different with God our father that he chases you he wants to be in relationship with you he he goes to great lengths to make that he went to great lengths to make that happen we um about 4 years ago we took our first trip as a church to uh India uh to stay at uh the the children's home that's the little flock um children's home and these kids come from all different walks of life. Some of them are true orphans. Some of them are uh, uh, the, come of, are children of poverty where their parents just could not support them and the best that they could do to make sure that their kids were healthy and, and taken care of was to send them to this children's home because they could not physically, uh, um, fiscally support them. Uh, some of them come from, uh, you know, their, their parents have died, and, and some of them come from, I mean, just the, the stories we heard of, of where these kids came from. And they all live at, the, at this little children's home. It's this beautiful, beautiful place in, in India, and we do trips there uh, occasionally, and, and uh, I'm sure we'll do one next year. If, you, if you'd like to go, uh, you would enjoy it, I guarantee you. Um, 
But while we were there, we, we made this video, and, and I wanted to share this video with you, and then I'm going to come back and, and, and do some more teaching. But watch this video. Has not been broken. Who here among us is without guilt or pain? So oft abandoned by our transgressions. If such a thing as grace exists, then grace was made for lives like this.
Listen to this. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here it goes. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now, we are heirs of God. We are sons of God. Now, now um, I, I know one of the one of the criticisms oftentimes of the Bible is that it is, um, you know, it's a book for, for guys and leaves women out. And, and uh, you know, why didn't Paul say sons and daughters or children of God or whatever here? Uh, it's actually, um, it's not a chauvinistic thing that he's talking about because when he says adoption as sons, he's referring, the Greek word that is used there is actually uh, referring very specifically to a practice that was practiced in, in Greek culture this, this wasn't in Jewish culture, but it was in Greek culture where uh, a person, a, a man could designate uh, someone as his son and his heir who was not of his own bloodline. If there was somebody in his life that he began, be, began to view as a son, he could give them all the rights and privileges as a son. And so he's not referring here so much to boy versus girl as much as he's referring to um, um, inheritance, inheritance, and he says, where you once felt this spirit of slavery, this spirit of bondage, this spirit of I am being held back by the circumstances of my life, by the way I view my life, by the way of, of my own sin, of my own failure, of my own whatever else it is. Well, I, I've been, I've felt that slavery and I felt that bondage. He, Paul here says, you have not been given that or a, a, a spirit of that to go back to that slavery instead you've been given this spirit of adoption some of your versions say of sonship in other words god not only embraces you and tells you that he loves you and he looks at you as a son he gives you all the rights and privileges that he affords to his own son jesus christ we are the brothers and sisters of jesus christ himself co-heirs with him in the kingdom of God, that when we enter into the kingdom of God, someday we will reign with him as co-heirs to that kingdom. That we, God doesn't just love you because, you know, theologically he has to, that God actually likes you. That God not only loves you and likes you, but don't miss this, he chooses you. He chooses you. He looked out through all time and chose you to be in relationship with Him. He chooses you. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is is, uh, when Jesus calls His disciples. When He uh, starts uh, gathering disciples around and and, uh, He he meets a couple of them, uh, two or three or four of them that are out fishing. And, and these are young men. A lot of times we have uh, this image of, our, of the disciples that they were kind of, you know, when, Jesus, when they started following Jesus, they were kind of already grizzled old men. And, uh, and, and that's just not true. They were very young, young men, probably in their late teens, maybe early 20s, young men. 
And he finds these guys fishing, and he says, um, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says they dropped their nets and they followed him. And I've always, I've always looked at that passage thinking, you know, who does that? Who, who meets some guy for the first time and it says, follow me? And they're like, okay, I'm quitting everything and I'm, I'm just going to go follow you. Now, who does that? Really, that's not, that doesn't sound very practical at all. Like, what, what was it? I mean, it almost makes it sound like, you know, it was more of a, Jesus had him in some sort of trance. You know, it was like, follow me. And it's like, okay, we're dropping the nets. And, and, uh, it, but it just, it's, it's, it's just an odd story to me. It's an odd story to me. Until you, until you kind of consider how these young men grew up, that from uh, a, a very early age, uh, the, the, the boys and girls were uh, educated in the word by, by, at, the, at the synagogue by a rabbi. They would gather them around and begin to teach them the Bible, and they would memorize scripture, and they would memorize the law and everything else. And and it was just, I mean, they just had so much of it memorized. And then at some point, uh, somewhere around maybe age 10 or so, so the girls would stop being educated and go about helping mom uh, with the daily duties of upkeeping, uh, keeping the house and things like that and taking care of the family. And the boys would continue on in their education until about age 12 or 13 or so. And they were, again, even immersed even further into memorizing the scripture. To where that if, you know, the Pharisees, you know, the people who had kind of come up all the way up through that system of education literally had every word of the Old Testament memorized. Every word. Completely immersed in it. Well, as the boys were continuing to be educated and they would hit that age of about 12 or 13 years old, the rabbis would choose one or two or maybe three uh, disciples that they would say, I want you to continue. You show promise. You show a knack for this sort of thing. And I, I'm going to select you. I want you to be a part. Uh, I want you to be my disciple. You will follow me. You will learn to interpret the Scripture the way I interpret the Scripture. Scripture. You will, know, uh, you will, you will uh, emulate my every action and my every move. You will be my disciple. And for all the boys who weren't chosen, they would go off into whatever the family trade was. So as Jesus, a rabbi, a person that was called rabbi, a great teacher of that age, um, seeks out these young men and says, I want you to follow me. This was already after a past failure, if you will, of not being selected. And here, this guy, this Jesus, who was going around the countryside, who was quickly becoming known as one of the greatest rabbis of that generation, and he looks at them and says, I see something in you. I think you have what it takes to be my disciple. Now, if you read the scripture, you know these guys were not, you know, road scholars. They were, they were fishermen. They were you know, a, a, a bunch of, some of them were, were practically criminals. They, they were not, you know, the, the cream of the crop as we would choose maybe the cream of the crop. But Jesus looks at them and says, no, 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 I want you to follow me. I see something. And no wonder that they could, in the face of one of the greatest rabbis of that generation, looking at them saying, I want you to be my disciple, of course they would drop their nets. Of course they would say, this is the chance of a lifetime. And it's no different for you today that when we are called into that discipleship relationship with God our Father and with Jesus Christ our brother, that he looks at us and he says, I see something in you. I choose 
you. Now you can sit there and you can say, no, Jesus, no, God, you're wrong. You don't see anything in me. You're mistaken. And some of you are doing that right now. Some of you are trying to convince uh, God that no, what he sees in you can't be accurate. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I did last night. And God still looks at you and says, I know everything. I know you better than you know yourself. And I want you to follow me. And not only do I want you to follow me, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I want you to be (coughs) my heir. I'm giving you everything. Literally the keys to the kingdom. I'm giving it to you. Now, you can choose to view yourself as a child of God, as a as an heir of God, as a true adopted child of God, or you can choose that spirit of slavery. You can choose to be held back by the bondage that has been plaguing you your entire life, whether it was placed upon you or or brought about by someone else or by your own actions. It doesn't really matter. It's bondage is bondage is bondage. And you can make a choice to view yourself as that person that was either the victim of your own doing or the victim of someone else's doing, or you can choose to see yourself the way God sees you and choose freedom and choose sonship the way the Bible speaks to us. That choice is yours. This is one of the things that's so beautiful about God. Again, the way I would do, the way I would be God and the way God is God, two different things. But, but, you know, the way he is God, he doesn't force himself on us. He just doesn't. He doesn't force this relationship on you. He allows you to choose it. He offers you the keys to the kingdom. He offers you true, um, a, a true inheritance in his kingdom. But he does, he's not going to force it on you. If it was me, if I'm God, I'm forcing it on everybody. I remember my dad was a pastor, and, and my dad, I remember him preaching. I don't know why he would say this, but he, sometimes he would say, I wish you could get people saved by just beating them over the head with a baseball bat because I would wear out bats right and left. And um, I don't know why. I don't know, really understand that. But um, Actually, I do kind of understand it. But, um, but, that, but regardless, he doesn't force himself on us. He allows us to choose him. Just know this, he's already chosen you. And what a shame it would be for you to make it through your life and then at the end of your life realize, I was chosen all along and I did not allow myself to be chosen. I didn't allow it. I pushed it away. I had the world, the kingdom, handed to me on a silver platter, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I pushed it away when I could have I could have had so much more fulfillment, so much more freedom in this life than I had. And I want to challenge you this morning to let go of whatever it is, that bondage that's been holding you back. Let go of it. Give it to God and say, I don't, I don't want to carry this anymore. You carry it. And embrace the freedom that he died to give you. Embrace the freedom that he died to give you. It's such a huge thing, but it's a decision I can't make for you. It's a decision only you can make. Only you can make. I just want to challenge you this morning to make that decision. Some of you need to make it for the very first time. Like you, you're just kind of checking out this Christianity thing. You're not even sure if you know, you're into it or whatever. 
and you still you need to make that decision. Some of you have been kind of Christians for a long time, for a lot of years, and you still have been kind of holding God at bay, just kind of tiptoeing into the water of faith and holding God at bay. And I want to challenge you to stop that. Instead, embrace everything that he has for you. Embrace everything that he has for you. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. And we cry out to you as our father, as our father. And we ask that you would... Help us to see ourselves the way that you see us. We ask that you would help us to embrace the relationship that you're presenting to us and not instead of remaking it into something that we feel like we deserve, instead just embrace what it is that you've given us. Embrace what it is that you've given us. Father, you're so good. You're so good. And your word is so good to us. In fact, sometimes it's too good. Sometimes for some of us who are steeped in our own sin or our own guilt or our own shame, Sometimes it, it's, it's, it's too good almost to believe. So, Father, I, I pray that, again, that, you, that your Holy Spirit, as that verse says, that your Spirit would um, bear witness with our spirit that we are indeed your children. God, that your Spirit would, would connect with us right now in a meaningful way, that, that your Spirit would testify within our own spirit that, yes, this is true. Yes, you can be trusted. Yes, You are the only perfect father that we're ever going to encounter. So God, we we love you. And um, we want to be that. We want to be your children. Continue this process of transforming us and making us more like yourself. We submit ourselves to you one more time. God, right now, I pray over this room, and I just ask if there's anybody just right now where they're sitting just battling in their mind the decision to embrace the freedom that you have for them. God, would you just help them to truly feel um, their position with you. Help them to truly feel the sacrifice that you made for them. Help them to feel the love that you have for them. Help them to accept that instead of pushing it away. God, if there's any of us in the room that have old wounds that are hard to heal, God, I pray that you would bring healing. That you would help us to, in you, and with the knowledge of who we are in you, move past whatever baggage we bring into the room today. God, I pray right now that people that have brought that baggage in the room today would just leave it here. That they would walk away from it. And instead choose to be the true sons and the true daughters that they are in your kingdom. Father, we love you. And um, we ask that you would just lead us and guide us in the way that you want us to go. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.